Kia ora te whanau. Tolo falava. Oleo ingoa o Nat Carey. Olea o Faitau, Maletusi o Iseta. My name is Nat Carey and I'm going to be speaking this morning from the book of Esther. So, we're actually carrying on, and I haven't got a slide, but you will have seen it. Actually, it's me, the slide, the No Well One Path slide, isn't it? Cool. Me walking along somewhere, I don't know where I was. But we're going to carry on our series called No Well-Worn Paths, and we're going to do that looking at the character in the book of Esther. So we wanted to do this series. We really felt like it was a, a great expression of where we feel like we are right now as a church. Um, it's a path that we're on that's not well-worn. It's like, where are we going? We're not quite sure. For us, it really feels like we're starting again as a church in many good ways. Like God has done so much in the past, but we're sort of on a, a new journey in some areas, and we're saying, God, what do we do? How do we respond to what you're doing? Um, we can't really just pick up a book and find the next five steps of what we should do as a church, or just even copy another great church. We feel like we really need to hear the voice of God and follow on this no well-worn path that he uniquely has got us for. So, I mean, it's not that we're the only... I mean, you can say that about many churches. There are so many great churches in this nation, and when you look around, there's so many amazing people pioneering things for God. Um, but we feel like we've got a part to play in that. We feel like God has given us specific DNA as our church that we can contribute something to God's plan in this nation. And that makes me excited. I love being a part of that, this church because God is shaping us and molding us and it's an exciting place to be. So what does that look like? What are some of our, our sort of parts of our DNA? Well, we want to be, and we're growing into be, a truly grace-filled community. So if you cut us at any level, we want to see grace. The way we respond to God is not by our works, it's by grace. The way we react to one another and how we encourage one another, we don't want there to be legalism and you should do this, you should do that. It should be we release you in the grace of God to flourish under his hand. The way we do conflict, the way we do family, the way we do serving, we want to be grace-filled in every layer of what we do as a church. And praise God we're seeing that already and we want to see it grow. We also want to be a place where... Our leadership at every level is servant leadership. And I feel like we, we model that and we're growing into that even more. Where in the world, leadership is about you're the strong one at the top and you're the visible one and you're the one kind of making the calls and telling people what to do. And it's about control and fear and hierarchy often. Actually, in the kingdom, it's like this, that way up. And when you lead, you're the least of all. And actually, when you're leading people, you're saying to them, I want you to flourish I want to see ordinary people with amazing gifts flourish to see a world infected by the love of God. And the more you come into leadership in any area, the more you're serving and you're championing people around you and those you lead. That's part of our DNA as a church. And actually, it's quite countercultural. We also want to be a place where the poor and the vulnerable and the hurting have a voice. And we feel like this is something so on the heart of God. Even as elders this week, we were just praying, saying, God, help us to be a place that expresses um, practical social uh, help for the poor and the vulnerable and those who are hurting in our community. It's big on God's heart. There's so much need out there, and Jesus says that we are to be a shining light in that. James says that true religion is looking after the widows and the orphans. What that means is that means the vulnerable people in society, the churches, to gather around and help. And we want to be like that, don't we? And we're already starting to see things like that with people with mental disabilities finding work or, or care for those who are in um, dementia and, and old um, and elderly homes. We're starting to see things pop up and other things too, but we want to see that grow and grow. It's part of our DNA. 
We also want to be a place, and we are becoming a place, where the power and the presence of God is visible. Every time you see someone from our community, every time you come into a meeting, every time you just say hi to someone on the street, we want the power and the presence of God to be there. Because Jesus has overcome the grave. And he can do anything. And so we want to see people healed and set free and delivered in increasing numbers. And we're starting to see more of that. Hallelujah. Does that make you excited about where we're going? I mean, that's just a little bit of what we're seeing, isn't it? There are other things that you're thinking, hey, what about this? What about that? That is part of who we are. And God is saying, I want to breathe on that. I want to grow it. I want to see something that transforms Porirua and transforms New Zealand, along with other great churches in this country. And that's where we get to when we say no well-worn paths. We mean those are the things that we're, we're feeling God is stirring us in, and we want to see them grow and flourish. And how do we do that? Well, we need to get on our knees and pray. We need to hear God's voice, and we need to follow his prophetic leading. So that brings us to the book of Esther. I've been reading this, and I just feel like there are some great things we can learn from this story and this lady that can help us right where we're at now in the season we're at as a church. So you might, not, you might know the story, you might not, but I'll give you a bit of a rundown. The book of Esther was set when the Israelites, the people of God, were taken into captivity. They were beaten up by their enemies, and they were taken away from their homelands, and they were enslaved by, by more powerful empires. So first it was the Babylonians, but now in the book of Esther, it's the Persians that have taken over. So the Jews, they're feared and they're hated by many. They're a long way from home, and they're disconnected from, from how, they, how they sort of express their faith and even express their culture. Things are pretty dire. In the middle of that story, we see Esther arrive on the scene. She's a young Jewish woman, and she's living in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire. It's the royal seat of King Xerxes, who is this powerhouse of a man who rules over 127 provinces across all the way from Ethiopia to Iran, across this massive empire. And she's living in the city. Um, she's been adopted by her cousin Mordecai, who, um, who took her in after her parents probably died. They're not on the scene. So this Persian king Xerxes, he's not a man to be messed with. If you've seen the movie 300, where the Spartans stand up to, her, to this king, that's the, it's a fictional story, but that's the king that they're talking about, King Xerxes. So all the way through history, you see he's been revered as this powerful, powerful man who you don't mess with. In fact, if you can, any, if you can get anywhere near his, his courtroom, if you were to approach King Xerxes and he, and he didn't um, extend his golden scepter to you, he didn't accept you, you'd be put straight to death. And if you disobeyed him, anything can happen. You don't mess with this guy. But now the queen, his queen, Queen Vashti, disobeys him. She is apparently very beautiful, and he is putting on this massive uh, kind of feast that lasts over 100 days. And in a drunken jolly, he says, bring out the queen in front of all my friends and nobles and parade her like a piece of meat in front of all these people. And she refuses. That sets in motion a furious rage in which she is deposed as queen. And they send messengers out across 127 provinces to find beautiful young women who could come in and they could sort of find out who's going to be the new queen out of these of these young women. Esther is found and shortlisted and taken to the palace. Now, if you were to pick up the story at this point and you think, oh, king is looking for a new queen, you could kind of romanticize it, you kind of Disneyify it and think, oh, it's such a lovely story. It's not. It's dark and it's evil. These young girls were probably taken, well, almost certainly taken by force. It's like the king says it, 
you do it and you have no say. So they were taken far from home. They are brought into a palace. It's not so much like a beauty pageant. It's more like a forced sex competition. This king is saying, who's, who's going to please me the most will become the new queen. It's dark, it's misogynistic, and it's grim. And Esther is caught right in the middle of this. In fact, more than being caught in the middle of it, she rises to the top of it. She becomes the, the favorite. She's in the king's favor, and all the court officials love her, and she becomes the new queen. All the while, she hides her identity as a Jew, as an Israelite, for fear of what might happen if she says, this is who I am. While all this is going on, a plot is being constructed to wipe out the Jews from across the whole empire. The king's right-hand man, his name is Haman, he hates Esther's uncle Mordecai with a passion. And he devises this plan where he gets the king to sign an edict that basically incites genocide across the whole of the Persian Empire to wipe out every, every Jewish person. At the news of this, Mordecai is absolutely distraught, and he approaches the, the queen's palace, covered in sackcloth and ashes and distraught, and comes to see Queen Esther, his, his cousin. He says, you've got to do something, Esther. Our people are going to be wiped off the face of the planet, and you have to speak to the king. Esther says to him, what, what can I do? You know as well as I, if I approach the king and he doesn't lift out his golden scepter, I will be put straight, I'm going to be, I'll be killed straight, straight there. Gone. In fact, I think I've fallen out of favor with the king because he hasn't sent for me for 30 days. It's, it's not going to work. Mordecai says this in reply, do you think just because you're in the palace, you're going to escape what's coming? No, someone else will be raised up to save God's people and you and your family will perish if you don't do something. And then this is the key verse in the story that just, it's, it's powerful. You probably know if you've read the story. Um, it's the verse we're going to kind of look at a bit later on. Mordecai finishes by saying this, and who knows, perhaps you have come to your, to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows, perhaps you, Esther, have become queen for such a time as this. Maybe God has put you in that place for this very reason, to save the Jews from what is about to happen. Such a powerful statement. Esther steps up to the task and she approaches the king. She invites the king and this evil man Mordecai to a couple of banquets, apparently in their honor. And halfway through the second banquet, she flips the tables on Haman and, and exposes him as someone who wants to kill her and her people to the king. And he's furious. And through her bravery and a number of amazing sovereign works of God were just perfect timing. Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews are saved. And God's poetic justice in the story is amazing. I don't know if you've read it. If not, I would encourage you, go away and read it. Maybe even in one sitting, just read it. It's like, a, it's like better than any movie you could go watch. The story is just it's phenomenal, the twists and the turns. And the poetic justice part of it is that Haman builds this gallows to hang Mordecai on. He says, I'm so strong and powerful and I hate this guy, I'm going to kill him. And Mordecai, uh, Haman ends up getting hung on his own gallows and killed. Mordecai gets all his wealth and his position as the right hand to the king. It's just incredible the way God uses dire situations and turns them for the good of his people. But I encourage you to read it. We're not going to go through, go through it all right now. What I want to do is just pull out a couple of things that I feel we can learn from it now as a church when we think, no well-worn paths. Where are we going as a people? What's my part to play in this? 
Where is the church going? What's God put on my heart to do to see, to see real good and change happen in our community? So a few things that we can learn from it. First of all, what was Esther's context and what did she do? She was right in the middle of the filth. She got scared and she, overcome that, she overcame that fear and stepped out in bravery for God anyway. She was right in the middle of the filth. She got scared and she looked past that fear and bravely stepped out for God. So what do I mean right in the middle of the filth? Well, she was in the middle of a sexually depraved, violent culture that was very anti-God. In some ways, we can take comfort from that. And maybe a country that you've come from is even more like that because there are places in the world where you know, these things are happening and people are put to death for, for saying, you know, I don't, I'm standing up for this or, or people are being um, sold into the sex, the sex trafficking um, slavery. These things are happening in our world. But even in New Zealand, we can take heart that she was in a culture in some ways, in some kind of little ways like ours. She was right in the middle of that. She didn't have a lot of choice. She was taken and put into the king's harem and then taken to the king and just part of this whole kind of thing to become queen. And even in the first place, she was in exile a long way from home. So even in that dire situation, it was right in that position that God wanted to use her. God had her in that divine place so that something great would happen through her being obedient and being brave. And a point that I want to make for us is don't shy away from being in culture and in society. Do you know where a light shines the brightest? In the dark. Hey, sorry, this is a bit Sunday school. <laughs> but you got it. Good points. A light, a light shines the brightest in the dark. I'm not telling you to put yourself in abusive situations. I'm saying don't be shy of getting right in there with people around you and the culture around you where things are dark, where things are anti-God, where things are, are not what the values that you stand for. Unfortunately, sometimes we have a choice. Esther had no choice. But we have a choice as Christians to huddle back into our little Christian communities with our little Christian friends, reading Christian books, singing Kumbaya while the world is just kind of unaffected by us. It's really easy to do. We have a choice Esther didn't. Let's make a choice to be right in there in the world we live in. Even in our jobs, it's amazing how we can kind of hide away from meaningful connections with the people around us. And we can kind of turn up, do our thing, and leave and go back to singing Kumbaya. And we haven't built good relationships with people around us and listened and brought hope to their situations and been a shining light and prayed for the sick and shared the gospel with them. I've just been a good friend. Bill Hybels in his book, uh, Walk Across the Room, he talks about for often, not everyone, but often, the longer you walk as a Christian, he has like an axis, the longer you walk as a Christian, the less meaningful connections you can have with people outside of the church. And it's like, it's just easy. It's easy to kind of go, yeah, I'm a Christian now, that's great, and you know, I'm leading in this area, and I've got these friends at church I want to grow deeper relationships with, and oh, there's lots of new people on the scene, I want to get to know them. And without knowing it, it's like, Months can go by, and where are the meaningful connections with people that don't know Jesus yet? It's not always on purpose. It's not like we set out to do that, but it can happen anyway. The busyness of life just gets in there. And yet it was right in the middle of culture that God used Esther. Let's get in there. Let's spend time with people who don't know Jesus. 
Let's not get easily offended by them. Or other people who know Jesus, easy to get offended by anyone these days. Let's not get easily offended by people. Let's get around, let's love them like Jesus did. You know, when he was around um, walking on the earth, even the tax collectors and the prostitutes felt comfortable around Jesus. And they were the despised of society and they did things that he clearly didn't stand for and yet they loved to be around him. And I bet you, if you were one of them, it'd be like your whole life you would have felt like, oh, I'm just a no one, oh, this is so tough. Suddenly Jesus on the scene, it's like, I just feel like myself. I feel like there's something better in me that's coming out every time I'm around Jesus. I feel alive around him. You know, people can feel that around us because Jesus lives in us. But do people have enough time around you to feel like that is my question. Go out with your workmates. Go partying with your friends. Just don't do the stupid stuff. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, um, but sometimes I've got to tell myself this. You know, people go out and they do silly things, and especially when my social circles are a little bit different without kids, and, you know, I used to go out to a lot of drunken parties, and I would love it, and I would be sober, because so many opportunities to share the gospel and to listen to people, and people's hearts would come out. They'd pour out their hearts to you, and you could be there and be a friend. Do you know that you are holy because of what's in you, not because of what's around you? You're holy because of what's in you, not what's around you. It's actually because Jesus made you a new creation. He washed you clean of your sin, and you you walk as a completely holy person. That's what makes you holy. And it gives you the ability to be right in the middle of the muck and be holy in that, and be a shining light, and not sin, and be around people who are, and love them to bits. You know, I, even last year, I realized that I just, I, I, I was hiding away from people who didn't know Jesus, and I didn't even mean to. It's like, I've got a young family, the church is growing, I've, I'm in leadership, um, there's new people on the scene, I want to get to know them, there's my old friends, I want to make sure I'm going deeper and walking life with them, there's, there's family to look after, there's my kids, there's my wife, and it's like, all that's great stuff, but I realized I wasn't really developing relationships with people who, who needed to see a shining light. And honestly, when I realized that, it made me really sad. And so I just, I've started to kind of put things in place to help uh, be a bit more intentional about that. And I'm still not quite there, but I'm, I'm growing. There are things that I'm doing in my life that are like, no, I want to be around people so that I can just share their life with them and be a good listening ear and, and learn from them too, but also share about my faith. So for me, that looks like developing uh, relationships with people I work with because I work, therefore I'm spending more time at work than I am even at home. Because it's just, that's how life is. You, you know, it's, it's busy, you're there all day, you've got to commute there and back, you know, it's a long day. So that's a great opportunity and a place to develop relationships. For me as well, it's often around um, kindies, because my kids go to kindy, so it's getting to know the friends, the parents of my, my son's friends, and building relationships with them, and it's, it's slow going, but there are some relationships we're intentionally wanting to build there. You know, just a bit of an example for me, uh, I started a football team at work, um, and we go down every Tuesday and we play football, and different people from office, or different departments of the office that I work in at Bernardo's, and uh, one, one day we were going to walk down, and I realized it was just going to be me and this one lady walking down, normally it's like the whole team walks down together and we chat, but other people were coming from meetings and other places, so I knew it was just going to be me and, uh, and my friend, actually, I've been growing a friendship with her, and I thought, this is a great opportunity just to go deeper when there's... You know, just a one-on-one conversation. And so um, I was a bit inspired by Matty P and some of the ways he'd been stepping out. And I said, God, you know, give me a word of knowledge. And all I heard was something about a dying fish. 
And I was like, God, give me a different one. <laughs> that, is, that is lame. And so, I, but I stepped out. I stepped out with that word of knowledge and she got blown away by it and was like, how did you know? And this thing opened up about some things that were going on in her life. And she's looking at me like, what is going on right now? And I'm looking at her like, whoa, this is cool. And then I stepped out with some other words of knowledge, got them wrong. But the conversation just flowed. And she just opened up about all these different things and, and how she's looking for someone to spiritually guide her. And I got to share about Jesus and about his unconditional love for us. And we've probably had about three or four deep conversations where it's like I'm able to bring Jesus right into it. And it was because I was trying to intentionally grow a relationship and step out of the boat um, in that. And so, you know, she's, she's seeking. She's, there's all these things going on in her life. I'm saying to her, come and meet my family. Like, come and get to know us. Um, and I'm thinking of ways that I can sort of take this further because she's so hungry for spiritual, um, spiritual knowledge, really. She just wants to know, who am I and what am I doing here? But that, it kind of would have stayed on surface level had I not gone, right, I want to take a step out in, in faith over my fear and step out with something that sounded so silly. And actually, another thing happened recently with a, a friend of mine at work opened up about his son who was um, autistic and, and had this episode of being bullied at school. And my friend at work was just absolutely distraught, uh, as you would be, any parent would be, and was just kind of, could hardly focus. And so I just asked God, I said, God, give me something that would encourage him. And God gave me a picture of a red car. I was like, God, another one that just sounds not that whole, you know, not that amazing. I want to be the amazing guy with the great words. It's like, gives me these funny ones. That's fine. <laughs> So I stepped out with this word about red car, and he just looks at me and goes, my son, who um, took a long time to even communicate with him because of his condition, um, had given him this postcard, this picture of a red car, and for some reason it meant so much to him, and he went out and bought a red car on the back of this picture, and it really meant something. And it was like, all right, God, I don't know where this is going, but I was able just to encourage, hey, God knows your son. He knows the plans that he's got for him. He's going to bring him hope, and he's going to bring him a future. And it was like God was breaking in. But it's through just being intentional with these things and not just trying to do my job and go back to sort of my busy Christian world. So I guess my question to you is, what intentional things are you doing to be a shining light in, in your world? All of us have different worlds. That's the beauty of it. We, people, we won't see a city turned around if we just invite people in here. We're going to do that. We love to do that. But all of us have this big, these worlds that overlap and are different to one another. How are you shining your light in that? And that's not to condemn you. That's to say, how can you partner with the grace of God and his power in your weakness and say, Jesus, use me. Give me a silly word like that. It's humbling, I'll tell you that. As a church, we need to be right in the middle of society, don't we? We're asking God, what is this such a time as this for us right now? What are the paths that we are on? What are you saying? What do we do as a church? You know, we're bringing Sam on, uh, employing him to help push this thing about cross-cultural unity. Well, that's part of it. We're also saying, God, what about these other areas? How do, we, how do we reflect heaven on earth? You know, we don't have all the answers to that, but one of the ways we'll find out that some of the answers is by getting right in the thick of community as a church right in the thick of the society that we're in. You know, maybe God has us here for the saving of many lives. Maybe God has us here because he wants to show unity among cultures that has like never been seen before in our city, maybe. What is our such a time as this?
It's great because if you've been around any longer than five minutes, I think you'll feel prophetically God is doing something with us and it's like God is doing something and we're just trying to play catch up. Like how do we respond to you, Lord? It comes with its challenges, but what an exciting way to live as a community. We're saying, God, what are you doing and how do we respond? So what's God saying to you? The joy about living in a grace-filled community is that we can recognize grace on one another. It's like Tim has grace on his life for this. How do we release Tim for that? Steve has grace on his life for that. How do we release him? We recognize that God is doing things, and actually that's how we as a community get behind one another and, and make change. So what's on your heart? Maybe you want to see sickness eradicated from Porirua. Maybe you want to see hospital waiting rooms cleared out because God's power has moved and people have been healed. Or maybe God has got you here for such a time as this. Maybe you want to see vulnerable children with no homes, fostered and adopted into stable, loving families. Maybe that's the thing that God's put on your heart. Maybe that's your Esther moment. Or maybe God has got you here for such a time as this. Maybe you want to build a community where people from every culture and every kind of background and sort of status or whatever, all over the region can come and not only be a part of this church, but stay who they are and not be squashed into the mold of another culture or another person. Maybe that's your heart. Maybe God has you as part of our church for such a time as that. Maybe you've got a heart for burnt out, hurt Christians who are just floating around New Zealand. There's so many people who have a faith or had a faith or still have a faith who have been burnt by church or burnt by some sort of leadership or just burnt and they are just floating around, and what they need is mothering and fathering so they can be released into their potential in God. Maybe that's your heart. Maybe God has you here for such a time as this. Maybe, like the story of Esther, your heart gets gripped about young women who are objectified and forced into situations they don't want to be, and their choices have been taken away from them. Maybe God has you here for such a time as this. Maybe you see the suicide rates going up, and you want to see a drop in that. And you want to see a safe haven for teens where they can find their purpose in Jesus. Maybe that's your heart. Maybe God has you here for such a time as this. Maybe it's something completely different. But what I'm trying to do is stir your hearts to go, Father, what are you saying to me? And how do I respond? How do I get into the middle of the, of the muck and through my fear, still step out and see God do amazing things through me and this family that I'm a part of. It's not time to play at church. It's actually not time to just kind of attend church. Like if that's what you're looking for, a church to attend, then this might not be the one for you. <laughs> because actually we want you to roll up your sleeves and dig and change what's going on here and affect it and be released to see amazing things happen. That's what we want for each other. It's not time to be fearful and sit back and go, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, someone else has to do it. It's time to say, God, like Esther, I'm going to use the position that you've given me and I'm going to make real change for people. It's funny because it's like Esther stands before this ugly king to save God's people. We stand before this beautiful king, King Jesus, and we're like in the middle of King Jesus and the people in Porirua, the people in Wellington, and it's like we get to go to the king and say, Father, would you use us? Would you break in? We get to be the intermediary 
and say, your kingdom come and affect this group of people, suicidal teens, young mothers who don't have a home to raise their children, X, Y, Z, people who need Jesus and people who need to be part of a family. We get to stand before the king of love and say, come and do something, Lord. And he says, yes, I've been waiting for you to say that. Now I'm going to send you as well. Do you just want to stand with me? It'd be great just to stand and just give a moment for God to speak to our hearts and meet us where we are. Father. Father God, we just want to thank you so much that you love us unconditionally, Lord. Lord, when we were in a mess, <laughs> you cleaned us up, Lord Jesus. You set us free. You made us into a new creation. But Father, we thank you it didn't stop there, that you have good works prepared for us to do, individually, as families, as a church family. You want to use us for big works, Lord Jesus. We say that humbly, knowing that it's in our weakness that you are strong. Actually, Lord, it's in our dying that you bring life. Father God, we want to lay down our lives afresh for you and see you do something that will go down in the heavenly history books as making a difference in Porirua and Wellington, the nation and the nations, Lord Jesus. I would just encourage you, just allow God to speak to your heart right now. Just put it before him. Say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my heart. I'm an open book for you, Jesus. You may just want to lift out your hands if you find that helpful. You may want to shut your eyes if it's helpful. But let's just spend a moment. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I feel like there are some people here who are carrying dreams, but unlike Esther, you're saying no to God. For whatever reason, you just don't think you can do it. You don't believe in yourself. Can I just encourage you lovingly just to say, Father, I repent of saying no to you. I want to say yes to you, even if it costs me my whole life. I want to lay down my life so that others can find life in you, Jesus. Father God, we pray, meet our dreams. Give us the grace to say yes, Lord. Thank you that those dreams are from you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. I just feel like there's others here who you just feel like you've got no dreams, you've got no hope. You feel like you're just kind of coasting. This whole, this whole thing's a bit of a schedule, you know, just come here because you come here. Maybe your life feels like that. Often that's because we have unbelief blocking us up. How do you know if you've got problems with unbelief? Well, you feel dreamless and passionless. You feel skeptical of other people's big ideas. Often that's because we haven't dealt with disappointments and hurt from the past. Can I just encourage you to lay your heart before God and say, God, is that me? Do I need to do some, some business with you and get rid of some unbelief in my heart, some disappointment in my heart?
really easy little three steps. If that's you, you can just be honest with God. Get it all out. He's a big father who can handle it. Tell him what you're disappointed in. Tell him what hurts. Tell him where you feel let down. He knows it's in your heart already. You can say it out loud and he's not going to give you shocked like, oh, I didn't realize you felt that way. <laughs> that's step one, be honest with God. Step two is deal with any emotion as it bubbles up. Sometimes you feel angry at God or at people or yourself. You feel sad. God actually made your emotions to be expressed in a healthy way. He made them to be expressed, not pushed down. So step number two is express an emotion that bubbles up. Step three is be silent and let him speak life back into you. Let him speak truth. Let him tell you that you are the apple of his eye and that he has great plans for your life. And he'll speak specifically to you. You can do that now. You can do that another time. It's the kind of stuff we do in Freedom Prayer. Sign up for some of that and and the guys can help you through. Father, we just want to say, let us act on the dreams that you've put in our hearts, Lord God. Let us be a group of very, very ordinary, extraordinary people, Lord. Normal and weak in our own strength, but powerful because you're on us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray would you ignite and release dreams in people's hearts, Lord, and resurrect dreams that have been dead for 10 years, one year, 20 years. Lord, resurrect them and breathe life back into them, Lord Jesus. Take people off the sidelines and put them in the plan that you have for them, Lord Jesus. Father God, let us stand before you as a family at the end of all time and say we paid our part to contribute to your kingdom coming and change happening in this world, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hannah, I just kind of felt, um, when I was preparing this, I just felt like God say, now is a really important time for you, and that he's about to release you into some stuff. I feel like he's saying to you, your voice needs to be heard, and your voice needs to be heard here, as in you need to speak up about the things you're feeling and saying, and God wants to, God wants to use you to help shape this community. Father, we just pray, bless her, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for the gifts she has, the talents. We pray, breathe on her by your spirit, Lord Jesus. Breathe on her leadership gift, Lord, and and take it up a notch, Lord Jesus. Use her in her workplace and everywhere she is to see your glory come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. I just want to leave space if there might be one or two other prophetic words people have, and then we'll, we'll finish there and get the kids... I do believe this is God speaking. This is a, a, a very profound time. Can you sense over these Sundays that God is consecrating us for what's ahead? There's a shaping. There's a. This is very, very deep in preparation for what's to come. So don't don't blow this, or don't miss it. Nat mentioned earlier about games, and I just feel there's a, a heart of God in this and the challenge, and invitation and the challenge. 
It's a consecration work. It's God saying, are you going to set apart for me and for my dreams and for my calling of your life? I do believe this is very profound. And so please be responsive to what God is saying to you this morning. Where he's calling you out and saying, come, I want you to turn your life afresh over to me and to follow those dreams that I put in your heart. For some of you, it's years ago. There is something about the urgency of the moment this morning. As Nat's been sharing his heart, it's God's heart he's been sharing, not just his own. Holy Spirit, we're all on the front line here. We're all on the altar call. Come, Holy Spirit, please have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, we respond to this. This is a now word from you. We receive it into our hearts and say, as we did it the first song, your will be done. Your will be done in our lives. Holy Spirit, have your way, Lord. We just say it. Please take us on, oh God. I, I pray that for my life. And I know those around me are saying, yeah, we want to give our lives afresh to you. We want to pursue you, Lord Jesus, in ways that we've never done. Even this morning, we, we sense it's such a time as this that you've placed us here. God, we want to respond to you then this morning and say, amen. Yes, Lord Jesus, have your way in our lives. Mobilize us, send us. For our part, we say, yes, Lord, we will step out of the boat. We will obey. For we don't want to slink back into mediocrity and just going with the flow, running down the old railway tracks like we've done for years. We want to jump the tracks, Lord, and go and respond to your Spirit in Jesus' name. So we say, come, Holy Spirit, even now. Come upon us, Lord. We are hungry and thirsty for you. No well-worn paths. We don't want to go back to the safe paths, the old traditions. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name, keep speaking to us, Lord, we pray. Keep knocking on the door of our hearts. We welcome you in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For some here, God is cornering you this morning. And you know it. You know it. You can't go back to where you were before. You daren't go back. You want to press forward.